Welcome back to the Quilting Stories podcast. I'm Elaine Wick Poplin, a quilter from Huntsville, Alabama, also known as Messy Goat on Instagram. And today I am joined by my co host. Great. I'm Jeff Rutherford, and I'm a quilter. I live in uh, Western Massachusetts. I've been quilting for 21 years now, and um, we're happy to be joined today by Cheryl Arkinson, a Canadian quilter. Cheryl is the author of quilt books, including Sunday Morning Quilts, You Inspire Me to Quilt, and many others. She teaches quilt classes online, and as we'll discuss uh, later, last year she posted a weekly block tutorial on Instagram, and you can find her on Instagram at Cheryl underscore Arkison. And Cheryl, welcome to the podcast. Well, thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. Well, I guess we just wanted to start out by finding out when exactly did you get into quilting and what got you into quilting? So I have been quilting now for coming up on 25 years, I think it is, 24, 25. Um, I usually base it for on how old my oldest nephew is because I the first quilt I made was for him when my sister-in-law was pregnant. I had always known how to sew. My mom taught me how when I was little and I did home mac and all of that, uh, but I never started quilting. But then my now husband and I, we would go walking in like, you know, the cool, fun area of the city. And there was a quilt store on the same street with all the bars and the bookstores and the restaurants and everything. And I would always make him go in and I would pet the fabric and look at it. And I think, oh, this is lovely. Like, I would love to try this. But I was 22, 23 years old. And I thought, who the heck quilts at this age? Like, that's for old ladies. Uh, so I would never do it. Uh, but then when I found out my soon-to-be sister-in-law was pregnant, I thought, aha, I can make a baby quilt. No one can fault me for that. Uh, by then I had moved cities. There was another quilt store, again, in the same little fun, a similar kind of fun area. And I um, signed up for a weekend class. I got my mom's sewing machine that she got when she graduated nursing school in the 60s. It was this beast of a machine um and i was i didn't have a car so i was relying on public transit and so i had to walk from my you know basement apartment to the train station take the train then walk from the train station to the quilt store thankfully we could leave our machines over the weekend but on sunday night i was like gosh my legs are so sore why are my legs so sore like what is quilting done to me <laughs> and then when i got undressed i noticed my thighs were covered in bruises from walking with the machine and hitting the machine with every stride cuz this thing is such a beast i was like oh so that was my first indication that quilting is is great first of all it's very fun but it also is physically demanding <laughs> Uh, and I learned that lesson early on and I've been hooked ever since. And, and, and go ahead. I was just going to say, and I'm just curious before then, I mean, you said that you were young when you would go in and, and this quilt store and, and pet fabric, I guess in your early twenties, had you done any kind of art or crafts or sewing before then? I had done some sewing. I remember starting when I was little on that same machine, uh, like making Barbie clothes, which were really just tubes. Uh, that I would hopefully had made big enough to get over Barbie's <laughs> breasts. Uh, so I'd done that. And then in junior high, I took home ac, Um So I had made some clothing for the most part. It was aprons and sweatpants and, and things like that. But I hadn't really done anything else. I was very academically inclined. And I went to I refer to as a nerd high school because it had all the advanced level courses. Uh, so I never took art or drama or anything creative. I was like on a path to do all these very high academics. Uh, so I hadn't really done much else. Uh, I was, I would write. That was one of the things that I would do. Um, not consistently or, or anything like that. And then when I was in my undergraduate university days, I lived out in Nova Scotia. And I remember picking up a watercolor set and just kind of playing, but it was like so random and rare, uh, but I would do it, right? It was just something to do uh, in there. So I hadn't really embraced that creative part of me until I started quilting. And you 
Start quilting, you did. You know, you teach a lot. We've, um, you teach a lot of improv. And you were one of the earlier quilters I know of that taught classes online. I took a class you made on Creative Live back in 2015, probably 2016 early. Yeah, I think it was 2016. Because in March of 2016, um, about halfway through the class, I derailed and went off into my sewing machine and made my first intentional improv quilt <laughs> uh, beyond just wonky log cabins and wonky stars and the basics. Um, I mean, full on improv, even though all the lines were straight, which was, you know, I did right angles. I was a geometry teacher at the time. So what are you going to do? <laughs> but You've gotten a lot of people to try improv. So when did you move from traditional patterns to improv? And I see a traditional quilt uh, quilt block behind you. So I know that you're not 100% into <laughs> improvisational. So you go back and forth. But how'd you get started? Well, let's back up a second. I want to define improv. I think there's a lot of different definitions out there. And different teachers and quilters will define it differently. Um the way I define improv is starting without knowing where you're going to end up. I love right? it. So it's really about embracing the process as much as the product at the end of the day, because I believe that in quilt making, we need to enjoy the process and, and the product is like the, um, the bonus, you know, the cherry on top of the Sunday. Yay. I have a finished quilt, but it's not about, that necessarily it's about all the things you do to feed your soul to make you happy to move your body all those things are far more important than the quilt at the end of the day so having that definition of starting without knowing where you're going to end up i firmly believe that traditional blocks traditional piecing precision piecing can fall within improv as well, right? I always tell people that half square triangles are the gateway block to improv because you can just pick a color, uh, make a whole bunch, and then have fun seeing where it goes, right? And you you give in to seeing where it goes. So I would say that probably from the very beginning, I have been an improv quilter using that definition because what I would often do in the first few years of quilting, because, you know, at the beginning, you're only making one or two baby quilts a year, maybe a wedding present. I have nothing from that, that era because I was giving everything away as we all typically do. Um, and so what I would do is I would find a block. If I had a recipient in mind, I would find a block that made sense to their story or to what I was wanting to convey. Typically they were traditional blocks or at least precision pieced blocks. And I would just make a whole bunch, right? And then figure out how to put them together. I wasn't buying patterns. I wasn't, you know, following a script for how this should look. Um, so I think some of my earlier quilts were like, let's make a whole bunch of butterfly blocks. And then there's some negative space or, you know, I remember doing a monkey wrench uh, one for a friend's baby and I actually used sashing um, on that. So I think from the very beginning, I was doing improv work. Now to go to that sort of more conventional or what people think of when they think of improv, which is that wonkiness and everything, I would probably say that started a few years in. Um, maybe I'm trying to think my daughter is 17, almost 17 and it would have been before she was born, but certainly since then that it just became about like having fun and using the fabric as it existed and seeing what happened. Um, I do remember when I was on maternity leave with her, that was when the quote unquote modern quilt movement started, uh, because I remember, you know. We, we get a year-long maternity leave in Canada. And so I was home. I know that look, right? Yeah, just rub it in. <laughs> um, and I was blessed with a child who loved to nap. Uh, oh, so I had a lot of time during the day. I live in a small house. There's only so much housework and exercise you can do. So that was when I became really prolific in quilting. Um, and I, I got really experimental in trying different things. And as the modern quilt movement was growing at that time 
and really kind of coming to the forefront. You know, the running joke was, oh, well, it's a modern quilt if it's a wonky log cabin with a lot of white space around it, right? Um, and so, yeah, I explored that. But I, it, so it really kind of moved from that traditional blocks, precision piecing, just make a bunch and see where they are, where they might go to where I am now, probably started around then. I like that definition. And, you know, anyone who follows me on Instagram knows that that's actually how I function is I just make a whole lot. I love the question. How long did that take you? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Years? I never know how to answer that. Yeah. Well, so, and, and that's it because I may work on something, you know, like you mentioned the traditional blocks behind me. This was an experiment that I'm, I'm having fun playing with. Right. I may make a few blocks and then put them away and not touch them for five years. Yes. That's okay. Yes. I mean, I just cleaned my sewing room and found a whole stack. I mean, a whole bunch of blocks. I did not remember making gremlins must have come in and do, done them in the middle of the night. Is I don't remember it. I know when I had to have done them based on the fabric that's in them, but I don't. I mean, and they're 36. It's not like... I sat down and made three. <laughs> I've started experiencing that with fabric. I was mentioning it to to someone just uh, yesterday. I was like, I'm I'm finding these pieces of fabric, and I have absolutely no memory of where I got it. And I was like, Wow, I really like that. And I literally have no memory of when I bought it or where it came from. <laughs> Way to go past me! You have great taste. I oh, still yeah. love fabric, like the 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 maple leaf blocks that we've been referencing. That actually started because um, one in particular, it was an event that I was doing last week and we were talking about ugly fabric. So I went through my sash and, you know, ugly is in the eye of the beholder, much like beauty. But I was like, why, when did I buy this fabric? This is not me. This never was me. Like, I don't understand. But I, you know, we challenged ourselves to use those fabrics and I loved the block I made uh, in me at the end of the day. And so I just keep putting these combinations together. But as I'm digging through the bins um, to add to it, to complement to it, I'm like, whoa, when, why did I buy the rest <laughs> of these fabrics? But I love them together. I'm having such a great time, you know, coming up with combinations. And it's it becomes then this exploration in, in color and pushing myself beyond my norms, in a way, it's still very much me in that it's a more is more kind of attitude. Mm -hmm. uh, with it, I have a, I'm a firm belief that if you need one red, you use 20, right? Like mm -hmm. add the more fabrics. And so it's, it, that's why my stash consists of lots of small pieces because they constantly get dug into. Uh, a long way and why I don't buy big pieces of fabric either because by the time I've used it three times I'm done like yeah. it's <laughs> yeah. well, well yeah. coming back to to you putting away blocks for you know several years or even five years do you have any kind of organization system for you know storing projects where you've done you know six or seven or 20 blocks and you put them away great question first and foremost I keep a list so oh, wow. at some point, these experiments turn into an intended quilt, right? Um, so whether, you know, I may I may not make more than these three blocks or a handful in something else, but at some point I make the decision, these will be an intended quilt. At that point, they go on the list. So I keep a list of quilts under construction. This is, it's just literally handwritten on a clipboard, like, not fancy, no <laughs> spreadsheets, no planners, nothing. Don't have to get too into it, uh, to each their own. But I keep this list, and and on the list, it has quilt tops, um, anything that's like in the quilting or binding stage. Uh, and that, like, there's one that's been hand quilted that's been on that list for like five years that I have not gone back to. Um, and then what I just call blocks. So um, there's a whole bunch. I think there's like, you know, 20 some quilt tops and 20 some block things. And then I am very, so that they go on the list. And then I am very blessed with storage space <laughs> in my sewing room. I just, I have a small room. It's our guest room. It's just a basement bedroom. Um, and, it, but it has two closets. Wow. 
um, we designed it for me. <laughs> so one <laughs> closet is my stash, right? So all of my fabric and all of my thread are in there. If it is ever too big, then it means I need to use the fabric, not get more storage, right? So I like having the limitations because I like closing the door on it. I don't want to see it. And then the other closet, my husband had a grand plan that this would be where we'd store quilts so that he didn't have to see them in the rest of the house, which has not happened at all. There's some mini quilts in there, but um, that is where the quilt tops live, where all of these different blocks are. So I have like one shelf is all folded quilt tops. Another shelf is all of the the things on that list for under construction. Another shelf is like my teaching samples uh, are there because even and on that list, I should clarify that things for teaching aren't on that list um, because I keep them separate because they may or may not ever turn into something, right? But I need to be able to find them for for teaching samples quite easily. A lot of times they do eventually get turned into something, but I, I don't even think of them as as potential quilts. They are just things that I, I have for teaching. That's great. So that's sort of the basics is I've got the list. I really, really believe in the list. This is the advantage of the list. So you are bored and you have a, I'm very rarely bored. <laughs> I am suddenly left with free time, right? I have three kids. It doesn't happen often. But, oh, I have an evening and nobody needs me. And I could just sew, um, like I'm not one to sit and watch TV. So I go into the sewing room. I don't know what I feel like doing. Well, let me look at my list, right? Oh, look, I could turn this into a quilt top. Or, hey, I can make a few more improv blocks here. I could do this. And so, or, you know what? I'm actually in the mood to get a quilt quilted. So do I have anything basted, right? So I can just go through that. So that's one advantage uh, that I can just kind of go based on the mood because I have the list and I don't have to dig through the closet, right? Uh, the other thing is like, if there's a gift that's needed, right? A wedding has come up, a baby has been born. Rather than start from scratch, I can just go to that and go, hey, I think this quilt top will work for them. And then it's half of the work's already done. That's great. Absolutely. Well, I wanted, to, I wanted to ask you about, um, I mentioned earlier in the intro that last year on Instagram, uh, you um, uh, posted a block tutorial um, each week. So 52 tutorials, 52 blocks. Can you tell us about that? What inspired you um, to do that? And I should add for those who um, are listening, if they're interested, you can go and find those. I think you had said that you created a, a, a list or I'm not sure what it's referred to on um, Instagram so people can find those videos. But um, can you tell us how you got into doing that and sure. what inspired you? So I have a, a venture that I call Quilters Playcation. It's all about um, giving ourselves the time, the freedom to play. Uh, the adventure so along is part of that and in 2021 um, I had the idea of doing this like a choose your own adventure type of thing where I had people voting on stuff uh, I made the quilt and encouraged others to sew along if they wanted but I, it was a really fun creative challenge for me so that was kind of oh that's the adventure sew along and as we came into 2022 uh, I thought I'm going to do something a little bit different. And I wasn't sure where I was going to go with it until a friend of mine who's a food writer here in Calgary, uh, Julie Van Rosendahl. She's at dinner with Julie. Amazing, wonderful person. But she started doing, we were um, right at the beginning of 2020, we went into kind of a quasi lockdown again, and schools didn't go back in. Um, at the beginning of the year. And so Julie, in her generosity, decided to do like an online cooking thing for kids. It was all free. And it was just so generous and so kind of her that it inspired me to do something similar for quilters. Um, kids welcome if they want. Um, but it was for quilters. And I thought, well, she's doing these once a week. I'm going to do them once a week. And I just thought that was really kind of the impetus. It was a very spur of the moment decision. I really didn't think that I would carry it through the whole year, if I'm being <laughs> honest. Um, but you did. I did. I did because I found that I loved it so much. I loved showing up 
for people. I loved challenging myself to get stuff. And I loved just sharing, uh, you know, showing people all of the different things that you could do with similar techniques, right? Because a lot of the times, you know, one block built on the technique of another one, um, or, you know, just to break down improv to be less scary and more fun, right? I think it intimidates people. Um, and so having these weekly tutorials, you know, most of the blocks take 20 minutes to make, uh, you know, and, and we went there. And so it was really good. It kept me accountable having it every week. We did it all on Instagram. You're right, Jeff, it is all there. I've created a series. So if you go to my Instagram profile and you click on the video link, right, the little play button um, and look for series, you can get all 52 blocks there. And I'm actually um, just finishing up my two quilts that I I did. So when I made the samples or every week I would make the samples. I didn't work ahead or anything like that. Um, I just did a print version and a sol three color solid version for the samples every week. And so I am quilting the three color or the prints version is I'm quilting that. And I did a very traditional kind of layout with it with sashing and everything. Cause I really wanted the blocks to kind of be individually highlighted and then the three color solid version i'm binding it right now because i um quilted that on the long arm last week uh so yeah i'm i'm really excited and then i have one more version that i'm working on but i don't have all the blocks done for it yet so last week i i was in the mood to peace and so i was watching my own tutorials to remind myself <laughs> of what i did <laughs> so your experience in previous online classes, I'm sure helped you with this, helped you go forward with it. So what, how did you get started with your online classes? I think the first one that I did was with Craftsy uh, way back. When. I think that one was, oh gosh, I want to say it was definitely before my son was born. I think I don't remember. So he was born. In Is it still out there? It is still out there. I'm not. So when Craftsy first yeah. came into being, it was a different beast than it right. is now. Yeah. Um, and that's how I got into it is um, my publisher, uh, The she moved from my publisher to Craftsy. And so she asked me to, to do a class with them. And it's funny because that class is all about precision piecing circles, um, which I was for a long time I was obsessed with. Um, and I will still do them, but I'd much rather do an improv circle now because it's so much faster, <laughs> so much faster. Um, so I did that. And, and those, you know, between that and Creative Live, they're really interesting experiences. The filming was entirely different because Creative Live is live. Um, but what was lovely in my regard for that was both of them took care of the back end production um, <laughs> stuff, which makes life a lot easier. You oh, just yeah. have to be the host uh, and show up and everything. But what it confirmed to me is that I'm very comfortable in front of a camera. I'm very comfortable in that presentation mode. Uh, so I was starting to get into teaching and in-person teaching, but uh, at, and so the the in-person teaching plus those have kind of led me to where I am now. I much prefer live teaching versus a recorded thing. I, I love the interaction uh, with people, but it's a bit tougher these days because everybody's in a different time zone, right? We all live right. on the internet. Uh, and everybody's in a different time zone, so it doesn't always work to come in. Um, but I don't like to record live sessions. It's not my favorite because I think you miss uh, a lot of the joy of right. it. Uh, but I'm looking at doing it because there's been a lot of requests for that. Well, well, I know we, we had talked about the, the project last year on Instagram, but you're doing uh, another project this year and made the switch to YouTube and you're not doing quite as an aggressive once a week. Can you tell us about um, that as well that's going on this year on YouTube? Yeah, absolutely. So last year was the once a week and each block was kind of designed, inspired by what was going on in my life, in the world at the time, right? Like there were blocks, um, you know, inspired by mountain trips that I did. Um, when the war in Ukraine started, I did a block that's a trizub, uh, which is the trident 
uh, symbol of Ukraine, uh, one to to acknowledge the floods in Pakistan, uh, and then just fun ones along the way too. Uh, I did one actually for the Golden Gate Bridge because it was the it had come up in my memories about filming the Creative Live class that you mentioned, Elaine. So all of those things. So for 2023, I could not commit to the once a week, um, just a lot going on in the personal life that, that that was going to be very difficult, if not impossible. So I've committed to once a month for 10 months, right? We didn't, we took January off to make our quilts. And then we started in February, we'll do once a month to go until the end of the year. And this time I chose a theme. So it's a little bit different. Uh, but I had the idea to do a treasure map. Uh, so we're doing blocks uh, that come from the idea of the treasure map. So we started with waves to be the ocean, because typically when we think of treasure maps, they're islands, right? Uh, it, it just, it's also cliche, but it's very fun. And there, so we have done the waves, we have done the, uh, you know, the path, you know, the little dots that go along the way. We've done a volcano. This last one was a palm tree. I've got plans for like booby traps to go, a treasure <laughs> chest, and then, you know, have fun putting it together. So you can design it, you could do it as one block and just have, you know, the 10 blocks at the end of the day. Um, I'm kind of doing two versions. One is a very sort of literal treasure map. So I will fill it in and it will look like a pieced treasure map at the end of the day. And then the other one that I'm doing is very abstract. Right, I'm doing it as rows. I'm taking the the general shape from each block and having a, a really interesting time, kind of abstracting the the shape and the idea into a small row, so that it's just something very different to show you that you don't have to do it exactly uh, one way. Right, that there's sure. many ways to approach it. So yes, it's on YouTube, so that uh, people who aren't on Instagram can access it, and then it can all be saved in a nice playlist. Uh, and they're still doing them live, though. I really right. like that. So still doing them live, but they're recorded and posted to YouTube, so that anybody can see them at any point in time. That's wonderful. That's cool. And. So I know that um, to to make a shift a little bit from from quilting, I know you do these morning makes that you that you post. I think on your blog and I think Instagram as well. Can you tell us a little bit about that? What got you into that? And and also, it's not necessarily sewing. Can you tell us like how what you're working on? Kind of, do you think feeds back into your sewing and quilting? Absolutely. So morning makes started. I want to say back in 2016 for me, I am a morning person. I grew up a competitive swimmer. And so I'm very used to getting up early in the morning. And what I discovered back when I was actually when my husband and I first started living together, we lived with roommates <laughs> and I, I'm an extrovert. There's no doubt about it, but I am also someone who really enjoys solitude. I don't get lonely. I just like to be alone. Um, so living with roommates and their significant others and, you know, it's university time, so it's fun. Uh, the only time I got to be alone was if I got up early. And so I would get up early just to sit and read at that point, uh, read a magazine, read a book, just enjoy, have a quiet cup of tea, just enjoy the peace and quiet. Well, fast forward to three kids. And I realized the same thing. The only time I get to be alone, because my husband is a night owl, so evenings don't count. <laughs> um, but the only time I got to be alone is if I got up early. And for the longest time, I would just get up early and I would make my tea and I would putter around the house. And I would say that I was quote unquote working, but I spent so much time puttering that by the time I settled down to do my own work or some writing, the kids were getting up. And so I felt like I was wasting that time. So I decided to, because I have a sewing room, why don't I spend that time making, being creative? And so I get up now, so I've been doing this pretty much every day, obviously some exceptions, but pretty much every day for the last six to seven years where I get up before anybody else in the house and I don't make my tea. I don't look at my phone. I don't even get dressed, right? I just go into the sewing room, usually the sewing room, and start making. And it has been amazing. It was life-changing. 
uh, for me because number one, you get a lot done, even if you only do 15 minutes a day. And and when the kids were smaller, right, my son is 11. So if I started mm-hmm. this when he was, you know, three or four, um, I wasn't getting a chance to sew at any other point in the day. So 15 minutes adds up a lot. Uh, and then it became the the statement in the house that if if the, you get up in the morning and the, the door is closed, unless you're dying, don't come in. Right. That's mama's time. Leave me alone. And then we started to say, like, we all have a better day when mama gets her morning make. Right. Because I start the day in a better mood, which rubs off on everybody. Uh, So it kind of went that way, but very not too far into it. I was having a conversation with uh, a girlfriend of mine who's very much into meditation and yoga, yoga and Reiki and, and, you know, a very, Eastern sort of philosophy of life. And so I was explaining this morning make to her and she said, well, in a way it's like meditation, right? Because you're, you're focused on what you're doing with no other distractions, right? So yes, you're physically not sitting and using a mantra or taking yourself somewhere, but the, the, the act of sewing is, is in a way a meditation for you. And and so I think that's why it was so life-changing is because it was that moment of being present that really did a, a, a big change for me. So I would go to bed or before I went to bed, I would just kind of decide what I'm going to do. I'm going to work on this project, this project. I'd leave the stuff out and then I would get up. So I didn't have to make decisions in the morning, just get up and go through the act of, of sewing for the most part. And it was great. I produced so many quilts, felt great, really, really good. Kids got older. They don't bug me. I don't have to get up as early to be alone because they're just doing their own thing anyways. But in 2020, I decided to change things up a little bit. And this was before the pandemic started. Um, But I went, you know, I've been sewing a long time. I need to kind of push myself creatively. So every month this year, I'm going to try something different, right? Go back to being a beginner at something um, or at least challenge myself with my sewing in a different way. So I did things like writing haikus every day, blackout poetry, um, you know, what else? Watercolors um, that I had never really done before, except for that one time in university. Um, <laughs> so it was just really interesting to kind of push myself to try all these different things. I did sewing stuff, but even within that, there were challenges that I I kind of set myself up for. So if you pick a month that has 30 days in it, you can make one block every day. Guess what? You have a lap size quilt at the end of the day, at the end of the month, right? Sure. Um, you know, I did a ha- improv applique one where every day I just improved a different or applicate a different shape on a quilt top. Um, I did one and it was one of my favorite ones. Um, so I have a tendency when I make quilts to make a whole bunch of blocks or a bunch of different elements. And then I really enjoy figuring out on the design wall, how to make it come together. That's my favorite part of making quilts. Uh, but I, so I challenged myself to not do it that way. And what I did is every day I made an improv block and sewed it to the previous block. So I was building the quilt as I went and composing the design of it as I went. So I really, you know, the beginning of the month, it's still very, you can see the blocks and the grids and everything, but by the end of the quilt, there's a lot more movement and interaction between the blocks. And I, so I wanted give myself that challenge again. It was really kind of very interesting. So yeah, so I started changing it every month in 2020. And I did that for 2021 and 2022 (laughs) as well, because I really enjoyed that. For this year, I've kind of switched gears and I've got a theme for the whole year. Um, But how I'm interpreting that is different um, every day. So my theme is portraiture. And because uh, I want to explore that, I had the idea, and then I discovered um, Portrait Artist of the Year from BBC, which is a wonderfully delicious show. I love it. There's like eight seasons of it. The, uh, th- those are amazing. I haven't seen the portrait one, but I discovered right. Landscape, which yeah. is just amazing, where they take like 30 landscape artists 
and it's kind of like a survivor reality show thing and which I'm sure you're familiar with. So Yeah, but uh, it's it, also friendly. And oh it is, it is, it is. It's it's like the it's like the um Great British baking show. It's yeah. like it's a friendly reality show, not not the the cutthroat. <laughs> exactly. So where does where does one find this story? YouTube. YouTube. Okay. YouTube. And they're they're like entire episodes. Yeah. I don't know yeah. where you found them. Um, Amazon Prime, the Canadian version. So I don't know okay. if the American version has it, but the Canadian version had the first three seasons. Um, and then we have a channel on, we still have cable in this house. Um, <laughs> there's a channel called Makeful that we get, and they've oh, wow. been showing like the latest season of Portrait Artist. So I'm sure hmm. Landscape will come up Interesting, next. Interesting, yeah alternate um on them so i had already thought of portraiture and then i discovered this show and it gave me so many different ideas and everything so it kind of confirmed that this is what i wanted to do um so i started at the beginning with like drawing um i've never been someone who could draw i still wouldn't say that i am but that doesn't mean i can't try can't do it right i firmly believe in being a beginner at things and pushing yourself to get better so I've been drawing, I've been watercoloring, I've made four quilted self-portraits. Um, I want to try a few more techniques before I say I'm done playing with fabric, but I had the idea of doing some embroidery. Like once I get a line drawing that I'm happy with, I thought, well, I'll try embroidering that. Um, so yeah, just exploring different things. Um and then the side benefit of it is I've been doing self-portraits because I don't think I should subject anybody else's face <laughs> to my learning. Um, so I've been doing self-portraits, but it's been really interesting to study myself physically. It's, you know, I'm, I'm not, I don't wear makeup. I don't do a lot. It's just, you know, I want to look good, but I don't care that much. Um so it's been really interesting to study my face. I'm like, oh, I never really noticed that wrinkle or my dimple. Like I've, n I have a dimple and I knew I had a dimple, but I've never paid attention to my dimple. And now I am right. And I want to make sure that my portrait is from the side that has the dimple. And um, yeah, so it's just been really, really fascinating uh, to go through the process. So it's, I like it. I like that I, I'm giving myself more time to explore. And what it's also helping me do is I'm pulling in all of those things that I've tried for the last three years as That's well. Great. I heard in a podcast probably yesterday, nobody ever gets worse with practice. So That's true. true. It's very like, true. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's genius. Exactly. <laughs> so I well, don't remember where I heard it, but I'll, I'll send you. I'll send you a link to a YouTube uh, channel. Um, it's a guy, Mark Kistler. Years and years ago, he had a PBS drawing show, and he has a YouTube channel. And it's drawing for kids, but if you're interested in drawing, he he really talks about the basic shapes. Um, and I've I found it valuable because I I can't draw at all, and I've I've. I'm not doing it every day, but I've tried to to do more of it, and I found that uh, channel really useful. Ooh, so, I, Jeff, could you put it in the show notes? Yes, I will. I will. <laughs> Fantastic! I'll look for that too. I will. And the I, yeah. YouTube links to the you know <laughs> landscape and oh, absolutely. Yeah, that'd be great. Yeah. It was really interesting. The way that I started, I had taken a class years ago with Melissa Avarinos, um, who's Yummy Goods online. Yeah. Um. And so I'd taken that class and kind of, you know, was excited, but then it just sort of fell away. So I grabbed her book and she does go through sort of the basics of geometry and everything. But one of the first things she does is she's like, I want you to just draw a picture of yourself now before you learn anything um, in there. And so I'm like, oh, like I, it's in my sketchbook here. And I was like, Ew, that, that's looks like I was in grade six and drew it because yeah. that's probably the last time I drew something like that. Um, and so even though I still have a long way to go, you're right, Elaine, no one gets worse with practice, right? <laughs> like the last one I did pretty good, right? I've still got a long way to go with likeness. Um, but I can do a face in fewer lines, um, and still get expression. And, and that's been one of my, my goals is, is to use as few lines as possible, but still have expression and likeness. I don't, not everybody has that, but that's been one of mine um, when it comes to drawing. So 
I keep working on that. And then this week, one of the things that I've been working on is um, kind of like dividing. Like if you have like, you know, your cheek is a little bit redder and the side of the face, maybe it's in the light. So it's paler than the other side, like understanding the different colors in in all of that. Um, So that's been another, you know, it's just, it's great. It's just a fun challenge. Melissa broke me into... I took her making faces with Melissa class in 2016 and I had been working on or wanting to work on a quilt for 11 years and had done, made three attempts at it and thrown them all out because they were just not where I was trying to go. And her class broke me out of that rut. And so, you know, she's going around being a fantastic teacher. She comes over and I'm off in the weeds And she said, well, okay, I can see that you have discovered something. I'm just going to leave you alone if you need anything. And the piece I was working on is on the back of her book. It's on the back cover. So um, it's my ice queen. And it's so completely different from the other things in her book. But she was wanting to show that you can go off into the weeds, starting with her technique. And, oh, man, the things that I made and in that class and after that class, that quilt of 11 years took me three weeks when she unlocked it. And wow. I credit her with unlocking it. That's amazing. I, I was just looking around here. The book is in another room. So I'll yeah. have to look up that particular <laughs> one. Um, and, and I also recommend if, if you want to, to and, and Melissa is wonderful. I've taken her class as well. But if you, if you want, wanted to at some point to move from drawing into pictorial quilts. I, I definitely recommend Tim Natar's book. Um, uh, she was a friend of mine and I interviewed her on the podcast, but she does a very similar thing to another friend of mine, Jack Edson, where it's kind of a Chuck close. If you're familiar with this painter where he takes a, an image and draws a grid on it and then focuses on one individual block at a time. So, what you were talking about in terms of the shading of your cheek, they would be looking at that particular block and like doing fabric that's shading. Um, Yeah. Timna was the next source I went to. So I did a couple with the collage technique that Melissa does. And then I'm like, Oh, I want to try Timna's technique. So it was weird. I couldn't find the book to buy, but she has a class. She Um, does. And so I bought the class and, and did it. Um, and so I just made another little portrait of that. Uh, I love the results. I personally, the technique is not for me. Right. Um, yeah, I understand. Be, only because, and this is this is completely a my a share, as we say in our house. That's it's an ish me, not an issue. No, um, totally. Is that uh, using monofilament thread and machine right. applique is not my comfort zone, um, and I don't love doing it. I loved that Chuck Close inspiration and and mm-hmm. going block by block. And so one of the things that I want to try is to take that same idea and and build off of Timna's thing, but do improv. Yes. And so have the so I've actually just been trying to find the right photo that I want to use and then going and getting it printed to work from um for it. And I'm gonna scale that one up. But yeah, that was my third self-portrait was yeah. was using Timna's technique. So I mentioned that there's a couple more things I want to explore. So one is that improv um sort of idea. And then I want to push myself again. Um and do that more. Um, there is uh, there's a class on um, Creative Spark, which is uh, CNT Publishing's one. It's about pet portraits, but I'm going to use that technique on a, a human sure. as well. And that one yep. is all applique, but it's that like you know, blow up the image, trace the different colors, create the different like. So it's going to be a challenge for me, but it's worth exploring all of that. And what's funny is that all of this is building towards one of the bucket list quilts that I've always wanted to do, which is not a portrait of me. It's actually a portrait of my Baba or my, my grandmother, um, that I want to do pixelated, but because she was, um, a prolific cross stitcher, she's the very typical Ukrainian Baba. Um, I want to make each 
block an X, right? So do it like a cross stitch pattern. Um, so there's a lot of, and I don't want it to be sure. small. So it's, all of this is building towards no, one day making well, that quilt. I was going to say, I, I will also share with you and I'll put it in the show notes, but I'll also send you an email um, with a lot of these links. My friend, Jack Getson, who also interviewed on the podcast, um, he doesn't teach, um, but I've watched him because he comes to the retreats that I go to. Um, and it's very similar to what you're talking about. So he doesn't do any machine applique. He, he, but he does the Chuck close and he just improvs every block. Yeah. Um, and to blow your mind even more because he got started in the seventies, he literally started quilting in 75. He now has taken to doing traditional blocks, but but do, but using the shading of each piece. Yeah. So like you'll see a face that's all log cabin, but the log cabin he's done based on the shading. And when you stand back, it's a face. I love it. And that. it's just, it's mind blowing. And that was Jack Edson, you said? <laughs> Jack Edson. He's in Buffalo, New York. Um, I'll, I'll send you a link. He, he um, posts a lot on, on Instagram about his process. But like I said, he's not kind of, oriented towards kind of the industry, meaning he doesn't teach. He doesn't really go to quilt shows. A lot of his um, quilts are shown kind of an art gallery. So, but um, it's amazing um, the work that he does. But I, like I said, I've sat there and watched him and he literally, um, and I've told him he should like turn it into a class or a book, but he will literally, um, you know, do the Chuck close. Then he looks at each particular block and then he has a gradation of values from like one to seven or one to eight. So he's looking at, you know, the value in that little block. Um, but it's amazing. <laughs> Fantastic. I'm going to look for that. Yeah. It sounds like Katie Pasquini. Masters. Yes. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So, so you mentioned earlier about um, long arming. So do you quilt all your quilts? I quilt the vast majority of them um every now and then just because i either have a deadline or i can't face it um, <laughs> or i can't face the basting um i send them out to be long arm but those are the ones that, like those are utility quilts to me so i'm sending them out to get um just get it done so we can be using it sure. um I will use uh, a long armor to baste my quilts when I'm facing a deadline or I just don't want to baste a queen size quilt myself because I do like working on my domestic. So I will quilt most of my quilts on the domestic, but I also have taken training to rent a long arm. And so I will go, um, there's a store really close to me and I go and I rent the long arm and typically I, I will like rent it for the whole day and get two or three quilts done. Um, or just one, depending on how detailed I get on the quilting. Uh, it's just nice to get them done quickly. I will say, but sure. there's no space or budget for a long arm in my life other than renting it. Right. If, right. If you're not feeling inspired, what does inspire you? Color, design, fabric, or just showing up? I think just showing up is really the thing. Uh, I, I say creativity begets creativity. So that was one of the things that I discovered with my morning make practice, for example, is that even if you just go through the motions of sewing, right? Like I, I remember doing one um, project that was just all these little improv curves, right? Like thousands of improv curves. And I would do, you know, 20 to 100 a day um, and sit there. But because it's a meditative act, you're, but you're also not distracted. There's no music. There's no media, nothing. Your mind is allowed to kind of do some creative problem solving. And so that I'd be, I'd found that I'd be sewing and I'd be like, oh, that's what I should do with this quilt. Right. Um, oh, that, that's how I can fix that problem. Um, and everything. So the creative act can, you know, beget creativity. So you just got to show up and, and when in doubt, Make some half square triangles, make a log cabin block, make some little improv. Like we all have comfort blocks that we go to. Just make some of those. Just have the act of sewing. Yeah. And that's my Angelou quote. 
you can't use up creativity. The more you use, the more you have. Yep. That's a great Nobody moment. gets worse with practice. <laughs> <laughs> so so what kind of machine do you machine? piece on? Yeah, there you go. Great yeah. minds, Jeff. Exactly. Great minds think alike. <laughs> what kind of machine? Well, I no longer use that beast of a machine that I got from my mother. It's actually a really good machine. Um, it does a fantastic, it's so old though, and I've had it tuned twice uh, and does a great straight stitch and I could put a darning foot on it. So I was able to learn free motion quite early on. Um, but I have two machines now. I have a fast Quilt Expression 2046, which my husband bought me for my 30th birthday. So that's coming up on 18 years old. Um, here it is a workhorse of a machine that at this moment now is only for piecing. It has sewn more than a lifetime. And so I can't get the timing to work for quilting anymore um, on it. So I only use it for piecing, but it's actually great because in setting up for the online world and teaching, it is a quieter machine than my other one and it's smaller. Um, so it's perfect to have for piecing and set up for online teaching. My other machine is a Bernina 820. So it's like, the biggest of the home machines that you can get. The throat is like 10 inches or something like that. So quilting on it is fantastic. It's been a bit of a pain in my butt to, if I'm not, if I'm being honest. <laughs> um, it turns out that I got a lemon of a stitch regulator at the uh. beginning. And so I was ready to return the machine. I'm like, this is stupid. Why does everybody, you know, rave about these machines? And then right. finally they sent um, stitch regulator and some pieces back to Switzerland for me. And they were like, Oh, this is so not working properly. And when it was, that was replaced, I was like, Oh, now I get what people mm, like. Now you get it. <laughs> but it's a really loud machine. Um, I find, so I don't use it for teaching and it actually, since setting up for virtual teaching, when the pandemic started, um, I took one of the tables out of my sewing room, um, and it sits in the family room. Um, so my husband's great desire to build me a sewing room was not um, altruistic in any means. It was about getting me out from where he was watching TV <laughs> um, and not sewing in the dining room and having to hear the machine and, and all the rest of it. But now that machine's in the other <laughs> back to the family room um, again, but he doesn't mind it as much. So, uh, so he says, uh, but I try to do most of my quilting when he's not, relaxing at the end of the day if i can if there's a deadline yeah. there's a deadline so <laughs> that's the great. running joke around here is the chicka 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 <laughs> and you know my kids will come home from wherever and the first night they're back they're like oh, i slept so well because that chicka 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 you just you just need to record it and like uh -huh. yeah, exactly. the white noise machine <laughs> Send it to them. <laughs> so, That's although great. I am trying to not sew as much in the evening, yeah. unless the muse strikes. When the muse is really present, then forget everything else. But, but I try to stop. And yeah, I. The kids are older now. Like I've got two teenagers. Um, one can drive, one is incredibly active and is always at her training and everything. So I find that I suddenly have evening time that I didn't used to have. Um, so if my husband's not home or not watching TV, then I'm like, oh, I'm going to quilt so I can make the noise. Otherwise, I'm like, I'm going in the sewing room and I've been able to get a lot of piecing done and, and or just quiet creativity here. But I typically, like you said, not sewing in the evenings. When it's time to sit down, that's when I'm doing handwork. So if there's something to be bound, I'm working on that. Um, or I have a couple of ongoing hand projects that periodically I pull out. Um, however, my middle-aged eyes mean that I need better light for doing that. And my husband doesn't always want all of the bright overhead lights. I don't want the bright overhead lights on if I'm not sewing. Um, and so if I'm sewing, he's like, do you need all that? I'm like, yes, I can see <laughs> we sound so very much alike, really. Yes. <laughs> Except for the morning person thing, I'm, I can't, I can't come with you on that. But uh, 
I can't. The rest I of can't, it is. So. Well, yeah. so, but here's the thing, because I've had people ask me about, well, I'm not a morning person. How do I do this morning make? It doesn't, you don't have to get up early to do it. What it yeah. is, is about dedicating a point in your day where you can create without consuming, right? I create before I consume, but the, the biggest thing is creating without consuming. So no music, no TV show, no Netflix, no podcast, sorry, um, you know, no phone in the room, nothing. Just show up and do your creative work without distraction. Um, and that's the important part. So if if you're, you know, uh, a, a parent and your kids are in school, then maybe it's that first half hour after they leave, right? Mm -hmm. Instead of your cup of coffee, you know, in the peace and quiet, you get to be creative. Or maybe it's in the afternoon in the hour before they come home, right? If you work full time, it might be the hour before bed. It might be the hour right after dinner. It's just about showing up at a consistent time and creating without consumption. Yeah, and it may be as simple as when the pasta's, you're waiting for the pasta to boil. Yeah. yeah. And I've, when I, when I had toddler and preschooler, my kids are the same age as yours. They're 19 and 21 now. And I made a huge Karen Stone foundation piece beast in five to 10 minute bursts. Yep. That's all I had. And it's, you come up with systems so that you know where you are when you can come back. But I'd have to stop in the middle of a seam sometimes and leave the room. And it's amazing how much you can get done in five minutes. Yeah, it really is. And then I think I used to get this a lot when the kids were younger. Like, I can't believe you do all that you do when the kids are younger. And it becomes about choosing how you spend it's your a choice, time, right? Yeah. It, it is a hundred percent a choice. Uh, like my, my 15 year old was giving me grief because um, Queen Charlotte came out the new Bridgerton thing and she got ahead of me and she's like, Oh, your viewing drives me insane because you're so slow. And I'm like, no, I just choose to maybe only watch one hour of whatever a day. That's it. That's all I'm, yeah. uh, that's all the time I'm giving to that because I'd rather spend my time doing elsewhere. So it's the same thing with our phones, right? Yeah. You can choose to spend all of this time and it's, I'm not judging anybody, right? Sure, I have discovered sure. a new game. I don't, I, t I never used to like games on my phone and my 17 year old gave me a game that I'm obsessed with. It's actually perfect for um, quilters. It's called it? I Love Hugh. Oh, yes. H-U-E. We're familiar. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I'm obsessed with it now. And so, like, but I know, I'm like, while the pasta is boiling, I can get a level done. And this is going to yeah. just calm my brain and, and everything will feel great. But it's how you choose to spend your time. I don't watch yeah. a lot of TV, right? I'm really bad at exercising consistently because I'd rather so. <laughs> um but it's the yeah. same. You find the time to work out if that's what you want to do. And that's what you prioritize, right? Yep. Yeah. I Love Hugh has a second game. I Love Hugh 2. And I designed a quilt based on one of those geometrics. So recently I started, it's called Partial Block Down. And you can see it. But I, you can tell that it came from that. Yes, it was born of <laughs> I mean, one of those geometry I love things. you too, just the number two? Uh, I think so, yeah. Okay. But there you go. yeah, and it's got more complex geometric shapes. So yeah, oh, get ready. <laughs> well, I I'm only, at, like, only level 700 on, something. <laughs> I only downloaded it on Sunday. Um, so I've got a long way to go, but yeah, I'm yes. obsessed with it. <laughs> Yeah, I had to hide it. <laughs> it's embedded very deeply on my phone so that I have to go like seven screens in and a folder and on the second screen and the folder so that I won't. Because I can lose days yeah. in that game. Oh, yeah, It's a go. great one. I've now so triggered you again. You're so yeah. doing it after that. No, I am not. I'm not. You're evil. I'm not going there. 
Well, well, that's all the questions that I had. I, I don't know if you have any more, Elaine, um, or if there's anything we didn't cover, Cheryl. Now, do you have a favorite can't without words, can't live without notion or tool or that you use. something that's even, even if it's completely not a quilting supply that you depend on that would shock everyone else? <laughs> I don't know that it would shock people, but I am not. So let's back up. I'm not a huge notion person, right? I think that you can do so much in quilting with a good pair of scissors, a rotary cutter, and maybe two rulers. You do not need the world um, mm -hmm. in that. Uh, there are two things that I absolutely love. Um, they are my scissors. I know there's a lot of brands um, and people have obsessions about scissors. These are uh, a Japanese tailor scissor. Uh, a guy I know here in Calgary, he owns a store called Knifeware, and he goes on buying trips to Japan. And so one time wow. I asked him to bring me scissors back. Um, and so I've been obsessed with them. I've had these probably for, I think I'm coming close to 10 years, and they're just in need of a sharpening. Right. And I use these daily cutting fabric and everything. So there's that. And then the other one, which I'm trying to see if it is here, it is not. Um, I love my quick clip. So a quick clip is I hate basting quilts. Least favorite part of the entire quilt making process. But what makes that so much better is a quick clip. And it is this it's a wooden handle with just a, a tip on the end with some grooves that closes your safety pins for you. So some people will use a spoon, um, but this way you don't have to wreck a spoon from the drawer. It is so much easier on your hands. Your fingers don't, you don't bleed on the quilt because you're forever getting in there um, to do it. They are no longer being made as of last year, I think. I have so one. If you see one, get it. I'm actually debating getting a, next time I see one, getting a second so that if I ever lose it, um, I have it. They were like 20 bucks, best money spent. Um, everybody should, I know some people say they have a hard time figuring it out, but I just get into the rhythm and, and it makes so that when it comes like the bigger, the hardest part of basting a quilt is getting everything laid out. Mm -hmm. So, well, cleaning the floor first, but um, <laughs> getting everything laid out and smooth and taut and everything. You put the pins in, which takes forever, but then closing the pins with a quick clip, it just fly. It goes by so quickly. Um, I get up and I, I bend over and stretch my back while I'm doing it. And then it's done. Um, so it makes basting so much better. I was I was a spoon spoon person. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'd be spreading out a quilt on the floor, and I'd always forget the spoon. My kids would walk up and look at me and just go get one. <laughs> and it's like, here, mom, here's your spoon. And well, it's so. funny. My my kids will help me baste now. Um, sometimes I have to make them do it wow. um but sometimes i'll be basting and they just kind of wander in and and start helping so that's another reason to have another quick clip because my oldest she's like no i just i'm gonna close it with my fingers and i'm like mm. you just take forever like <laughs> well and it hurts the next day yeah. your thumbs are just yeah. tender down with i don't know but yeah that's my my favorite and then the other unsung hero of my creative practice is my sketchbook <laughs> i live and die for my sketchbook. I carry it with me everywhere. Um, am I sketching quilts in it? Almost never. Um, but like I've written notes from today in it, uh, lots of just different ideas. And every time I have an idea, I put it in. Um, if I'm taking notes for a class, it goes in. And so I probably have in the years that I've been keeping a sketchbook now, when my kids were little, like they've got their doodles and their drawings in it because I always had it with me, um, I date them and they they go from sort of start to finish. And, and we joke that if there is a fire, the only thing, make sure the kids are out safe and then I'm saving my sketchbooks. Everything else can go, but I need those. Yeah. Having been through a fire, I can oh, assert wow. that, yes, everything else can go. Yeah. Yeah. The, yeah, there's certain things that are not replaceable, and exactly. that that would be it. So everything else is just stuff, right? And yeah. and even the quilts, like they, I would 
But it goes back to that very beginning thing when we defined improv, right? The process mm-hmm. matters more than the product. And so yeah. the sketchbooks are the process. It's my brain, right? Mm-hmm. It is my journal. It is my brain. It is my creativity. Um, everything is in there. Yeah, we lost seven quilts and only one of them really made me sad. I wasn't finished talking to it. So, but yeah, and people are like, oh, you lost quilts. I'm like, really, really, I'm going to make more. It's really fine. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so, but yeah, it's just stuff. And yeah. that's, and fabric's just fabric. Use it. Don't hoard it. Why'd you buy it? Yeah. Yeah, Definitely. I only like fabric for the extent that I liked. No, I shouldn't say only like it. Um, I like having a stash so that I can shop at home, right? So that I, if I get motivated and want to start something, I don't have to go shopping. I can literally just open the closet door, pull out the blue bin or the brown bin or whatever, and be shopping there. So the bulk of my fabric shopping is about augmenting the stash. Right. Like, oh, I've used a lot of yellow lately. Let's replace some of this so that I can shop at home when I actually want to quilt. Very, very cool. Great. Well, again, we've been speaking with quilter Cheryl Arkison. As we've discussed, Cheryl is an active quilter who teaches online and shares her quilt knowledge and love for improv. Please check her out on Instagram, YouTube. Her website at CherylArkison.com and her website at QuiltersPlacation.com. And I will have links to all of that as well as many of the things that we've talked about in the show notes. And Cheryl, thanks for doing this interview. This has been so much fun. Thank you. Yeah, it was good to talk to you. Yes. Wonderful.